I am honored to be around such awesomeness. You guys can take a break. Thank you so much. Man, what a month December's going to be. If I was the devil, I'd just clear out of San Diego and Salt Lake City. Just out. A beatdown is coming. We've got Twisted happening. Twisted over two weekends is going to be incredible. All right, come with me in, in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus was 30 years old when he started preaching. 30 years old. It's not that he couldn't preach before then, it's just he didn't preach before then. At 12, we find him in the temple. You know, his, his parents have lost him, just assuming he's playing with his cousins. And they get, they're on their way back to, to Nazareth and they realize Jesus is missing. They have to go all the way back and they find him sitting at the temple steps with the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious teachers and the lawyers. And he's asking questions and also conversing with them. And everybody marveled at the questions he was asking. And when his, when his mother came to him, she says, your father and I were terribly, why, why have you done this? And he said, don't you know I have to be about my father's business? And the Bible says, and Mary, you know, pondered that in her heart. And then Jesus went with them and was subject to them until now. So Matthew 5 is literally Jesus's first sermon. It's Jesus's first sermon. Jesus has spent 18 years from that moment when he was 12 to 30 observing culture, observing human nature, observing relationships, interactions, looking at the religious structure of his day, coming up with the, the revelation. At some point, he has the revelation that the lamb that is slain and its blood shed on Yom Kippur is him. He is the atoning lamb. He is the lamb that takes away the sin, not just of the nation Israel, but the sin of the world. He sees that the, all the tradition of the Passover, that he is the Passover lamb whose blood would be put on a vertical beam and a horizontal beam so that the destroyer must pass over all those who are under the... He recognizes that. He's observing culture. And then he's, he knows that you can only make an introduction into a room once. He knows that the problem with the first impression is you only get one first impression. So this is his first sermon. We know it as the Beatitudes, but I, I, today I just want to call it the, the B-attitudes. Like these are attitudes that you want to be in. These are the attitudes you want to be present in your life. So these are the B-attitudes. So let's have a look. It says... Uh, Seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him, which will preach all day by itself, but let's keep going. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, multitudes, but when he went up on a mountain, the disciples come up on the mountain. That's the difference between crowds and disciples. The crowds followed him, but the disciples went up onto the mountain. He, went, he intentionally went up because there's a price and so he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's his opening sermon. That's his opening statement. That's his opening introduction. He, the, the very, very first one is, number one, is poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. So blessed are the poor in spirit. I just need you to understand that there's a, we have to always be careful. The second commandment is thou shalt not make for thyself an image, a God, that you've fashioned on a perspective of heaven or something in the earth or something under the earth, you and I actually don't get to fashion God the way that we would prefer God to be. Right, right now, there are people who, you know, would prefer a DeSantis over a Trump because, you know, Trump, ah, you know, just he's so brash and, you know, lacks decorum in some, I'm just not sure if he's president. You're going to hear all of those things. Winston Churchill slept until noon most days. And then when he did finally get up out of bed at noon, would have a, a bath, would run a hot bath and be in the bath for hours with a cigar and scotch whiskey. And his secretary would sit behind, uh, on the outside of the curtain as he would just dictate to her, never in the field of human conflict has man ever defeated me. And so he would just... He would just dictate to her, and she, he ran everything. The, 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 the constant criticism of Winston Churchill, he, he was accosted going into parliament by, they had the upper and the, the, the lower house, and he was accosted by a woman in the, in the upper house, and she says, Winston Churchill, I perceive you are still drunk. And he says, woman, I may be drunk, but I shall be sober. You are ugly. <laughs> the truth is, the truth is, we know that Chamberlain, Chamberlain was presidential, had decorum. But presidential and decorum can't take down a Nazi war machine, can't take, take down an Adolf Hitler. Please, please don't be fooled by the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age wants you to rally against the warrior because right now we're in a wartime and we need a wartime king. We don't need a peacetime king. We need a wartime king. We need a warrior. I, I, I keep meeting people. Well, you know, I, you know, De DeSantis. No, no, no. They, they know they can defeat DeSantis. They can't defeat Trump. That's why even right now they're trying to pass legislation to block Trump from running. They, because they, they, the, the, the World Economic Forum, the CCP, the, the, the globalist agenda know that Trump is going to destroy their plans. Let me go out on record and say this. Trump is the one that God has anointed 
to save in our generation. And as it goes with America, so goes the world. If America falls, the world falls. They know that. That's why they installed this, this puppet, this bumbling, basement-dwelling Biden with, with severe dementia because they don't need him to think. They don't need him to reason. They just need his pen to sign. They just need his, they need his, his position. So, so we, live, we live in a time where I keep, keep hearing about, you know, well, you know, we know that Jesus, you know, was with the poor. And Jesus' heart was with the poor. And absolutely, Jesus cared for the poor. But as I read through the scriptures, I, I struggle to find where Jesus spent the entire day with the poor. I struggle. And so, so I'm, just, I'm just saying all of that to, to say, just be careful that you don't buy into the, the, the woke narrative that, 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 is, that, is a, that is a God that with a small g shaped by the spirit of the world that they say to you, listen, if you, will, if, you will, if you will serve this Jesus, if you will proclaim this Jesus, then we'll leave you at peace. We won't persecute you. Charlie Kirk said that a lot of churches were tempted to put up the LGBTQ rainbow flag because it was like the blood of the Passover lamb so that Antifa would pass by your church and not burn it to the ground or break windows or graffiti it if they saw it was like the blood with the destroyer passing over. The only banner over us is his love. The only banner over us is his blood, his righteousness. Somebody say amen. All right, so, so let me give you a couple of, couple of, the first one, the Bible says, uh, that blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want you to know it doesn't say blessed is, uh, is the poor in pocket. Blessed is the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? To be poor in spirit me means that you recognize that I need spiritual nourishment. I need spiritual enrichment. I need spiritual prosperity. I need spiritual enlargement. In Ezekiel 33, verses 31 and 32, it's interesting. God says to, to uh, Ezekiel, who's a prophet, he says, let me just tell you what's happening. My observation is, so my people, they come pretending they come to church pretending to be sincere, and they sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words, and their hearts seek only after money. Next verse. But when all these terrible things happen, oh, sorry, uh, and you are very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays live or fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. Now, I, I love the fact that, that, you know, we have great entertainment. And I want to be entertaining. The word entertainment literally means to capture and hold the audience's attention for an extended period of time. So we, we teach all of our pastors and all of our leaders, if you're up there communicating a message, be entertaining. Be entertaining. Make sure that you're capturing and holding your audience's attention for an extended period of time because you're trying to, you know, get some points out you're trying to get some truth out you're trying to get them but it's interesting it's not about it's not about the 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 god isn't rebuking ezekiel for being too entertaining he's saying listen the culture 
the backslidden culture of this generation. And this is why they're in captivity. And this is why they're being wiped out. And this is why they're being scattered. And this is why they're losing things rather than gaining things. It's because they come to church just to be entertained. That was a great sermon. How funny was that? But they don't come listening to apply to their lives because they're not poor in spirit. They don't recognize that these laws are laws of life. Come with me to Psalm 112. Have a look what what, uh, David writes about the, 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 the Word of God. He says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. I love it because I got kind of a little rebuke a couple of months ago from another pastor in our city telling me that, you know, the reason that Awakened Church is growing and his church isn't growing is because I violate 1 Timothy 4, 7 or something like that where I teach godliness for gain. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? He goes, well, you teach that, you know, if people are godly, then they gain things. And I'm like, but that's what the Bible says. I said before you, life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life and it may go well with you. Like, what? Meditate on my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. But, you know, be strong and courageous. Meditate on these words and surely you'll make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. I'm like, what part of? But anyway, it's like this, just like this stinging rebuke and he calls it pulls the scripture out of context. So I just want you to know that it was the word of God that rebuilt my life. It was the word of God. I'm telling you, I'm not smarter than the word of God. I'm not so clever that that I've been able to build a great life and then I've just chosen to attack the word of God and hey God, I'm going to do you a favor and I'm going to present your word. I really don't need it. I've built a success. No, no. My life was a mess. I was a mess on legs until I walked into the house of God. And I'm telling you, 37 years later, I come to the house of God to hear. I come to the house of God to receive. I come to the house of God with a heart that wants to receive instruction because I understand blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? It is heaven on earth. The kingdom of heaven is that God is saying you can have heaven on earth. I wake up next to Leanne. I have heaven on earth. I have three magnificent sons and a beautiful daughter I have heaven on earth I get to serve with the most stunning people on the planet heaven on earth I get to live in San Diego heaven on earth I get to see God's kingdom advance in San Diego in Salt Lake City heaven on earth we get to travel to Salt Lake City drive up to Park City heaven on earth we're about to launch something in Idaho heaven on earth I get to do life with you beautiful people heaven on earth I am telling you, if you will be hungry, if you will come not just to be entertained, but to listen. Number two, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. You say, man, you know, I I don't want to mourn. Life's too short to mourn. And so I did a little study on, did a deep dive on blessed are those who mourn. And literally what it means is is those those who grieve like, like they've lost something. We, 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 sh- we should grieve when, when we see Carrie Lake is, is double-digit miles ahead. Katie Hobbs won't even debate her. It's hidden in a basement. We saw Biden hidden in a basement. We saw Fetterman hidden in a basement. 
And all the elections that were called on the night, that were calculated on the night, tabulated on the night, went to the red wave people. But the ones that they had to count afterwards, just like happened in 2020, seemed to, to defy all the graphs, defy all the polls, and just miraculously turn blue. It should grieve you. It should grieve you that somehow, somehow a law passed in California that you can have a birthday abortion, that a baby can be born and then no actually execute the child. And let me tell you, if, if a baby can be born an American citizen and have no right to life, liberty, and the pursuit, you better believe that it's not about freaking uh, reproductive rights. It's about you losing your rights. If they will do that for the most innocent among us, who do you think you are? It is an agenda to destroy your life, to control your life. You don't want Bill Reprobate Gates deciding whether you live or die, whether you are useful in his plan. He believes that the world is overpopulated. Just fly on a plane, you realize how unpopulated our world is. Thank God for Elon Musk says, no, actually, the problem with the world is we are not populated enough. We need more people. But they're, they're, these climate cult, these are climate cultists. They are, they are a cult. Right, right now, through vaccination, through mass vaccination, they want to depopulate the earth. These guys are crazy. These guys, are, it should grieve you. It should grieve us that they're wanting, to, they're wanting the Bible out of schools, but they want confused men dressed in women's clothing, living a perverted lifestyle, coming to our schools to have reading hour with the most precious and vulnerable among us. It should grieve you. Blessed are those who mourn. You, 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 you should grieve. But we have a culture where people just want to party. Just party. I was, I was uh, surfing a little over a week ago, and I've been witnessing to, to one of the lifeguards there. And, uh, and he was just saying how... Uh, you know, with all the midterms and all the politics, he just stays out of politics. He's like, man, look at this. Gee, you just want to surf, man. You know, I live up, you know, he's got a place up in Big Bear. You just surf and just snowboard and just ski and just, just look party. Just don't, don't, don't even get, just don't even get caught up in it. And it's, and it's literally like what, I, what I've chosen is if I, if I really see, I'll mourn. So rather than see and mourn, I'll just get intoxicated. I'll just get inebriated. I'll just, I just want to go from one party to the next, from one high to the next, from one exhilarating moment to the next. Now, let me just tell you, there's nothing wrong with surfing. There's nothing wrong with parties. There's nothing wrong with, but, but, but God says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who will, who will look at the things on the earth through the Father's lens, through the eyes of God. Blessed are those who will feel with the heart of God and say, somebody's got to change. Somebody's got to care. Somebody's got to carry this. Somebody has got to engage. Somebody's got to stand up. Somebody has got to pull down these strongholds. Somebody has got to get involved. Can somebody say amen? amen. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Now, I want you to know that meekness isn't weakness. Meekness isn't weakness. Meekness is strength or power under control. In Numbers uh, 12 verse 3, it says that Moses was more meek than any man on the earth. Numbers 12, 
verse 3. It says, And Moses was more meek than any man on the earth. In other words, what, 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 what they were saying, they were, they were saying that nobody had more power in his hand and yet was more benevolent and kind. He had a stick that could part seas. He had a stick that could turn water into blood. He, he, he had a stick that could strike the land and bring gnats and curses. He had a stick that could, and yet, no matter how much the people grieved and whined and complained, he never turned the stick towards them. He never used the stick to abuse. He never used his power. He never used the power in his hand to harm God's people. That's why they call him more meek. That's why God blessed him, because he meekness is strength and power under control. I love the movie Schindler's List. In the movie Schindler's List, there's a scene where Ammon Goth, he's got his, he's got his, um, his whiskey and his cigarette, puts a cigarette in his mouth and loads his gun and, and he's just up there. And, and the, the, the Jews uh, in Birkenau con concentration camp, they're, they're, they're doing their task. They've got a wheelbarrow full and he's just, and drops one. And people are scattering and he kind of laughs and reloads the gun. And Oscar Schindler sees this and it grieves him, grieves him. And he says, Oscar, do you see me up here? I'm like a God. I have the power to decide who lives and who dies. And I love Oscar Schindler. He says, this isn't power. To decide whether someone lives or dies, this isn't power. He says, well, what are you talking about? I have the power to decide who lives and who dies. This is not power. He says, let me tell you what power is. Power is a man, a common thief, a criminal. He's brought before the king. He's brought before the emperor. The criminal knows he deserves death. The courtroom knows he deserves death. The emperor knows he deserves death. And the emperor leans forward and says, I pardon you. This is power. I've, I've, been, I've been watching you. you. You drink, but you don't get drunk. I watch you. You have changes, Amon Gothi. For the next few scenes, it changes him. Changes him. We have power. Blessed are the meek. Power under control. How easy it is to curse. How easy it is to tear. How easy it is. Self-control, the ninth fruit of the Holy Spirit. Number four, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who have a righteous hunger and thirst. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? Do you know that the only place that is righteous is heaven? A rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. And he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do that I may inherit eternal life? And she's like, very interesting. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Do you, do you know that I'm God? Or do you think that with human effort? But it's interesting 
because Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 that God has set eternity in our hearts. God has set eternity in our hearts. In other words, you have in your heart programming, a setting from God that is not of this world, that is not of this time. In other words, when we look at poverty, we know that we need to do something to relieve poverty. Yet the world has never had a time, a generation, or a nation that has eradicated poverty. We, we, we know that, that war is something that, that we should be, that we want to end wars. We want to end suffering. Yet, yet in 6,000 years of human history, there has never been a time where there was no war. No pain, no suffering. We know that oppression is wrong and exploitation is wrong. And yet in 6,000 years of human history, we, 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 we have never seen a time where exploitation and suffering and oppression was absent from, from the planet. But God has set eternity in our hearts that even though we've never heard, seen, felt, tasted, or experienced it, we know that there's an ideal that comes from God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God has set eternity in our hearts. The reason we do what we do is because we don't take our cues from the spirit of this age. We don't take our cues from the spirit of this world. We preach from a heavenly vision. We preach from a heavenly perspective. We preach and we tear down principalities and powers. We discern and recognize evil where it lies because God has set eternity in our hearts and we have a hunger and we have a thirst for righteousness. We know that it'll be full fulfilled in heaven but our job is thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven everywhere awakened church goes people experience heaven on earth everywhere you and I go heaven on earth and heaven and righteousness are together number five uh oh number five be merciful not judgmental be merciful not judgmental Jesus says blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy Blessed are the merciful, for they shall... In other words, whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. Peter pulls out a sword and hacks the high priest's ear, and Jesus grabs Peter and says, Peter, put your sword away. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Don't, don't set the thermostat there. Don't live there. One of the saddest things that, that, that Leanne and I have seen is friends of ours uh, just can't shut their... They're just... Attacking, attacking, piping off, attacking on their social media pages. Can't be restrained, can't be reasoned with, can't, can't apologize, just, but just, and they don't realize it's like, oh my God, like you, you're out there just attacking, like you, you've got a sword and you're just spinning it everywhere. Stop it. It's going to come back, yeah, the same sword that comes after be merciful. Show mercy. Show mercy. Number, number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the, it's the condition of your heart that determines the clarity. It's the condition of our hearts that determine the clarity of how well we see God in our lives. If you said, Pastor, what's your biggest battle? What's your number one? It's purity in my heart. The devil is a sower. He sows tares amongst the wheat. 
He, he, he sneaks in through our, our flesh, our carnal, our physical desires to sow things into our heart that, that may, you know, offer or promise immediate gratification, but it's all so that you can't see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God in my marriage. I want to see God in my children. I want to see God in my family. I want to see God in my finances. I want to see God in, in San Diego. I want to see God. Salt Lake. I want to see God move. I want to see God when everything goes crazy. I want to see God. Therefore, I've decided that on a regular basis, Jurgen the farmer will regularly weed. On a regular basis, weed anything in my heart that causes impurity because I need to see him. When I see him, everything is at peace. When I see him, hope rises. When I see him, courage rises. When I see him, faith rises. There is nothing. There is nothing. Satan wants to blind you by sowing garbage in your heart. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. One of the... One of the Sad stories in the Bible, and the Bible, I love the Bible because it pulls no punches, is Joab was the first to go up in Jebus. David says, whoever goes up and strikes the Jebusites first shall be captain over my army. And the Bible says, and Joab, the son of Zariah, went up and struck, and so he became captain. And he was a, he was a, he was a very, very faithful uh, captain of the guard. He was a faithful emissary for David. But as he got a little bit older, he he kind of he kind of went off the, the, the bandwagon a little bit. In fact, come with me, First Kings two, five and six. I promise I'm landing, I've only got one more. Promise. First Kings two, five and six. Have a look at this. This is David's now on his deathbed, and he's got Solomon. Solomon is about to Shalomon, son of peace, is about to inherit the the first Kings two, five and six. First Kings two, five and six. Solomon is about to inherit the kingdom. David, David, because he took down the, the stronghold, he took down the strong man, he took down the giant. God gave him victory over the Philistines. So he has peace in all the land. So Solomon is coming in in a time of peace. Because David doesn't have to fight wars externally, he says to Solomon, don't think that taking over in a time of peace doesn't mean you, you don't clean your house internally. And so watch what he says. He says, moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jetha, whom he killed. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime. And he put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals. I think is the next verse. And on the sandals that were on his feet. Go to the next verse. Watch what he says. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Father's words to his son. Take him out. Take him out. Abner came in a time of peace to restore the kingdom to, to David. He was, the, he was, he was with Israel. Uh, Ishbosheth was the, the, the son of Saul who survived the attack and they were going to make him king. But Abner says, No, you're not the anointed. David's the anointed. And he met with David and he says, I will bring the alliance. I'll bring all the other ten tribes 
and I'll bring the alliance to you. And what was interesting was on his way out, because there was a skirmish between Abner and Joab's younger brother, Asael, Joab lived with bitterness, with vengeance, with unforgiveness, and he couldn't see kingdom because of his own grievances. And so he pulls him out like he was going to hug him and then stabs him and kills him and takes him out. And then when David was done with Joab's continual defiance, David said, you know, Amasa is going to be his substitute, his replacement. And the Bible says when Joab got whiff of, of his replacement, someone who's going to take his place to keep job security, he went and he murdered Amasa as well to keep job security. Blessed are the peacemakers. It doesn't go, let's be peacemakers. Let's not shed blood in times of peace. Number eight is blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. For so they did to the, to the prophets of old, but great is your reward, reward in heaven. If you're persecuted here, you're going to be praised up there. The cross that Jesus carried down here determined the size of the crown that he wears up there. Can I tell you, we are all called to pick up our cross, deny ourselves and follow Jesus Christ. Your willingness to be persecuted, your willingness to carry a cross down here is directly in correlation to the crown that you and I will wear up there. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. 1101. The B attitudes, the attitudes. What an awesome, that's his first sermon. What an introduction. And I want you to notice that everything that I just said is the complete opposite of our flesh and the spirit of the world around us. Jesus was literally saying, hey, you, this is what it looks like to have God and his heart and his values living through your life. Come on, let's lift our hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you right now for the Beatitudes. Father, we thank you for, for a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. We thank you for a hunger and a thirst after your word, the words of life. Father, we thank you for peacemakers. We thank you for being merciful. We thank you, Father God, that we know that we're persecuted. We know that people call us all kinds of names and make all kinds of threats. But Father God, we don't, we don't return, you know, harshness. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for purity in our hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord God, right now that, that we're meekness, strength under control. Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. Father, let us glorify your name as we bring your kingdom to earth everywhere you send awaken. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. Come on, welcome Pastor Tom as he comes.